Well, good morning, church. I do. Man, it's so good to be together this morning. I'm so glad uh, that you're here. I know it's summer, so we have a lot of people uh, traveling, and maybe some of you have traveled here today. So if it's your first time here, let me say welcome. We are really, really glad that you're here. If you're here every week, uh, I'm glad you keep coming. Um, uh, you may notice that uh, things are a little different this morning. We have this new stage. Isn't it beautiful? Uh, yeah, yeah, praise God. Um, We've been talking about this for a little while with the carpet uh, that we did and the chairs that are coming. And then uh, this week you're like, hey, let's do it. Let's do it now. We've got time. And so sorry we didn't give you more notice, but it just kind of happened. And when I sent out the email on Tuesday, I was like, there's going to be some small improvements to our stage. I didn't realize it was going to turn out this beautiful, this big, this amazing. So if I do cartwheels later, I've got space. If I get lost, uh, come get a GPS and guide me back. Uh, They put a lip on here because apparently I I always stand on the edge and make some of you nervous. And uh, you're afraid I'm going to fall off. So they put this kickboard here, so I won't do that. Um, If I see you falling asleep, though, I may do it anyway just to uh, wake you up. Uh, But no, I'm really thankful for all those. We had an army of 10, 15, 20 people up here every night working to make this thing come together till midnight. And it was just fantastic. And I loved getting to be a part of some of that as well. So thankful. Uh, We have so many people here. And you give, all of you give in so many different ways, whether it's it's construction and making our building more beautiful, whether it's taking food to those who are sick or visiting those in the hospital or making phone calls or writing cards. or There's just so many ways that all of you, and Eric said it earlier, this truly is a generous church. We're not a perfect church, uh, but I do believe we are a generous church, and I'm really thankful that for that spirit, uh, that spirit in this place. So for those of you that helped and, and gave of your time and your talent and your resources, man, thank you so much, and uh, it really is a blessing. Today we're continuing a series uh, called Just Ask. From the Psalms. And so, if you've ever worried, wondered about prayer or how to pray, or if you've struggled in prayer, I really hope this series will be a benefit for you because uh, it's my feeling that we all have questions. Last week, we took up, uh, I don't know how many, I didn't count, uh, I saw the pages of them all typed up of, of questions that you wrote for God. And you've got some great questions. You've got some really hard questions. You know, we live in a world where we have these devices where we can just ask, you know, Siri or Alexa or Google our questions and they come back with quick answers. But you know, like I know, that there's a lot of questions that just don't have easy answers. So where do we turn with those really difficult questions? Where do we turn with those really hard questions? And the point of this series, and I just want to be honest here, it isn't to answer all of those difficult questions. I wish I could. I wish I could sit with every one of you over coffee and explain to you the answers to your questions as if I even knew them. I can't. And that's not even the point. Uh, The point is for us to take those questions and turn to God. The point is for us to spend time in the presence of God because I, I truly believe this, that time spent in prayer is time spent in the presence of God. And it's in the presence of God that you and I can find the hope, the healing, and the help that we need in our time of need. And that's the, that's the whole deal. That's the whole point of this. Uh, my kids, I, I don't know, some of you have kids or grandkids or you, you're around kids. And it's so funny, sometimes I'll see them in the next room and they're wrestling with something. They're trying to do something and they're getting aggravated. They're getting angry. They're getting mad. They're getting frustrated. And finally, they'll throw it down, a toy, whatever it is they're working on, and they'll walk away. And I'll go over to them and I'm like, what's the problem? And they'll explain, you know, what they're so mad about, why something isn't working. And there's tears running down their face. And I'm like, you know... I was sitting right there. If you would just ask, I could help you, you know. That's the point. You and I, we have a heavenly father who loves us, who is with us, he's for us. He's always working for your good and for his ultimate glory. And if you would just ask, he would love to help. 
And I know some of you have asked and, and, and you've tried this and, and you've been left wanting. You feel like he hasn't answered, but let me just tell you, he is always working. And I, and I can't explain the timing. I don't know the mystery of how it works. I just know that he does. It's a step of faith. I get it. But I want you to lean into that today. But I know, the, for, for a lot of us at least, I know what part of the problem is. If you're anything like me, part of the problem is, is just this question, this nagging, that, that holds us back from the prayer life that we wish we could have. It's that question of, how can I pray, or why would God even listen to me in light of what I've done? You ever felt this way? I know I have. Because I know and you know what no one else knows. I know what I've done, you know what you've done. And there's sort of this question in the back of our mind is that if I were to even pray, would God even listen in light of what I've done? If you've asked that question, if you're asking that question, if you've ever thought that question, the good news is you're not alone. That question has been around for literally thousands of years. The psalmist in Psalm 133, he said it this way. He said, if you, O Lord, kept a record of wrongs, Lord, who could stand? In other words, if you were to, to add up and count against all the things that I've done against you, there's no way I could come into your presence. There's no way I could enter into your presence. There's nothing that I could do. There's no way I could stand before you, before a holy God, in light of all of the sin and the wrong and the hurt that I've done. Right? Do you remember the first time? you remember the first time that you became aware of sin, of your sin? I do. I, I, I was thinking about this week, and I, I shared this story recently with my wife, Alicia. We were talking one night, and, and I remember I was in middle school, and I was over at one of my buddy's house, and he had a computer in his room, and, and that may not sound like a big deal, but back in, back in those days, back in my day when I was in middle school, no one had computers, and very few people had them. And if you had one, you didn't have one in your room. He actually had a, had a, a, a Mac. It was called a Macintosh computer. It looked something like this. It wasn't an iMac. It wasn't a laptop. It was, it was, a, it was a Mac. And it, it was, yeah, this is it. And there's a slot on the front of it. And if you wonder what that was, that's not a USB drive. That, that, that's a, a port for what they called a three and a half inch floppy drive. And I don't know why they called it a floppy drive because it was hard. It didn't flop. There, there was bigger ones that flopped. These didn't flop, but they called them a floppy drive. Anyway, I get my mouth track. We had, uh, we had just left his living room where we were playing uh, Tecmo Bowl, the most awesome game ever invented, on a Nintendo. Now, this is not an Xbox or a PlayStation. This is a literal Nintendo with a little controller with two buttons and a arrow key there. Uh, I know this is dating me, right? We left, uh, we left his room, uh, the living room to, to go to his room. He closed the door and he said, hey, I want to show you something. I'm like, well, you know, okay, what? So he fired up his computer. We waited a little while and it came on. And, uh, <laughs> and he put in this floppy drive and he said, look at this. I was in middle school and up on the screen came some, let's say, inappropriate pictures. And I didn't know what was what. I wouldn't even, I knew it was wrong. I'm not even sure I knew why it was wrong, but I knew it was wrong. I know this is not right. This is not the way it's supposed to be. I remember for the first time being keenly aware. This is a sin. This is not right. Isn't that what sin is? It's this awareness that things 
God gives us these incredible gifts that are from God, that, 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 that are of him, and he's given them to us to enjoy and to experience and to have and to, to have in, in, in the right way, in the right time. But anytime we take the good gifts of God out of context and use them for hurt or harm or shame or wrong, anytime we use them in a way, and it's just not the way it's supposed to be, you know, like I know, that is, that is sin. So what do we do? What do we do with evil? And what do we do when we realize that we are the source of evil? Here's the question that I want us to wrestle with today. What do you and I do with the reality and the gravity of our sin? What do we do? What do we do with the reality and the gravity of our sin? And I want you to hear me because my purpose and my intention today is not to shame you. It's not to make you feel more guilty. It's not to beat you down. That is always the work of the enemy, but that is not the work of God, and that is not my intention today. My intention, and I believe God's intention, is for us to to own our sin, to confess our sin, to name our sin, to, to, to come before God with our sin, to repent of our sin, to turn from our sin, to be forgiven of our sin, and to live in the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. That's my intention and my hope today. But my fear is, just to be honest, is that all too often, our, our fundamental problem is that we don't even own it or acknowledge it. And that, and that, let's just be honest, that's one of the greatest tools, one of the greatest weapons of the enemy is for us not to own it, for us not to acknowledge it. We live in a world, we live in a time, we live in a place, in a space where what we do when something happens, even if we're at fault, is we blame We rationalize. We point fingers. We point out all the reasons that, yeah, something went wrong, but it's not our fault. So we don't don't have to own it or claim it, even when we know we did it. Even when we know what happened, that we were the source of that. So I want us to wrestle with a question today. What... In your life does not line up with the character of Jesus Christ. In what area of your life are you living in disobedience? Be honest. In what area of your life are you living in disobedience to the teachings of Jesus? In what way does your behavior and your actions, your words, when you step in front of the mirror that is Jesus and you look into the mirror that is Jesus and you realize this is not the reflection of Jesus in your life. I'm going to ask some guys in the back, some of our people to, to come down the aisles and they're going to hand out a marker like this. And we're going to use these in a moment, but I want you to take one. You may have to share one. There, I'm not sure that there's literally enough for every person to have a marker, but, but take one amongst yourselves and share these. In a minute, we're going to use these, but I want you to think about What in your life, what is it in your life, what area of your life does not line up with Jesus? And not just that, but but what is it about our life as a church? What is it about our life as the body of Christ at Riverside does not match up with Jesus? Because you see, it's not just your sin. There's a sense in which throughout Scripture we see that, that it's our sin that we have to consider. 
It's not just in what ways have you not loved God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. It's also how have we as the body of Christ in this place, how have we as a church, how have we not loved God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? How have we as a church not loved our neighbor as ourselves? Some of you know it. It's one of the things I do every week is I pray for our church. I pray for Riverside. And every week I pray, and I hope you pray this too, but every week I pray, God, forgive us of our sins. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High God, have mercy on us. Because I know, I say it all the time, it's just true. We are not perfect. We've let each other down. We've let God down. We have not loved him with our whole heart. We have not loved each other the way Christ loves us. In what ways, in what ways have you not loved God? Have you not loved your neighbor? In what ways have we not loved God? Have we not loved our neighbor? And what happens when you and I come face to face with the reality and the gravity of our sin? If you're anything like me, then you've probably prayed this prayer. It's a prayer that people have prayed literally again for thousands of years. It comes from Psalm 51. If you have a Bible or device, if you want to turn that on or open that up, the words will be on the screen behind me as well. But there's an ancient prayer written by a guy named David who was a king. And I don't have time to rehash the whole story this morning. It's quite a powerful story, backstory to this psalm, to this, this prayer that was written. But here's the, here's the 30-second version. King David, he was a king. And once upon a time, he saw a lady he wanted, and he took her for himself, and he committed adultery. She became pregnant. So in order to hide his secret, to hide his crime, to hide his sin, he had her husband killed. So David now is faced with adultery and murder. In my opinion, probably in yours too, two pretty significant sins, right? This is a pretty big deal. And one of God's prophets named Nathan came to David and through the power of story helped David come to terms with the reality and the gravity of his sin and it just broke David. And if you're anything like me over the course of your life, if you've struggled with your own sin, with the reality and gravity of your own short feelings of, uh, of, of just the truth that, that more often than not you have failed God and you have failed others, then maybe you've come to Psalm 51 The blessing of all of that is that this most beautiful prayer was written, and it's been written as a prayer guide for so many of us through the centuries who've who've wanted to come before God and just cry out to him because of our sin and say, help us, right? And and I want you to know this too, before we even read the psalm, Danny read it earlier, but but this is a, a prayer, but it's also a reminder that if you struggle, that if you are faced with temptation, if right now you're in the thick of it, if right now today you are struggling with some sin, some shame, some guilt, something in your life that you know is not in alignment with Christ. You are not alone because everybody struggles. And that may be one of Satan's greatest lies. Is that whatever you're going through, whatever you're facing, whatever temptation you're dealing with, he loves to whisper this into your ear that you're the only one. Nobody else would struggle with that. Nobody else would do that. God can't love you because you are the only one who deals with that. But it's not true. Everybody struggles. If if that wasn't true, half the psalms wouldn't be written that are written. Half the prayers that have been prayed wouldn't be prayed because everybody 
struggles. Can we just say that together on the count of three? Everybody struggles. One, two, three. Everybody struggles. Everybody struggles. And as we come to the psalm, we read these words of David. And for me, it's, and I hope for you, it becomes a prayer that we can pray in response to the question, God, if you kept a record of my sins, who could stand? David comes to God and he prays this way. Have mercy. Oh, man. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out my, the stain of my sins. And I want you to see, and this may, this may be all you need to hear today if you're praying right now in the middle of some sort of pain, some sort of struggle, some sort of temptation, some sort of sin. David right here roots his ask of God, not in his character, not in, not in a promise that it'll be different next time, not, not that, God, if you help me now, then I'll do this, this, and that. He roots it in the character and the nature of God. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. My love is failing. Your love is unfailing. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. God, because of who you are, because of, of your grace, your goodness, your kindness, your mercy, your love, because it is, it is an unconditional love without limits. God, it's only, that's the only, it's my only hope. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night against you. And you alone have I sinned. I've done what is evil in your sight. And you will be proved right in what you say. Your judgment against me is just. David appears before God. Completely and utterly broken. Because of his sin. He could have blamed other people. He could have rationalized his way out of it. I'm a king. This is what kings do. Kings take what they want. Kings kill who they want. But David didn't do that. He came before God. Completely broken. Because of the weight of his sin. I don't know about you. I don't know if you've ever felt completely broken before God. If not, I want to encourage you to get real with God. Because when you get real with God and when you own what you've done and you stand before a holy and perfect God, there's nothing you can do except be broken. Be broken. David, realizing just how lost he was, says this. I was born a sinner. (laughs) In other words, I don't remember a time I wasn't a sinner. From the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. So purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Purify me. Why? Because sin always leaves a mark. And you know this. You know this. Sin always leaves a mark. And if you're anything like me, you've probably tried to find a way to erase it, to find a way to remove it, to find a way to forget it. But sin always leaves a mark. You've got these markers that were passed out, and you can share these if you need to. But here's what I want us to do this morning. We're going we're to just, in a very physical, tangible way, I want us to experience this. I want you to open your marker and just do a real simple thing. If you want to, you can write a word that describes it. But if that's too much, you can simply just make a mark on your hand. Make a mark. If you have the courage to write 
what it is that you're ashamed of or the sin that you're dealing with, feel free to write that down. You don't have to show this to anybody. But I want you to make a mark because I want you to see and to know that this is what sin does. Sin always leaves a mark. And the problem is, is there's nothing that you and I can do to remove it. Man, David knows it, and he owns it. And so he prays, God, give me back my joy again. And he literally says, you have broken me. Now let me rejoice. I don't know if I'll ever rejoice again except that you do this, because, you know, if you keep looking at my sins, just don't do that. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. God, do what only you can do. I can't do it. Only you can do it, God. I'm crying out with all I am. Do what only you can do. Cleanse me from my sin. Change me. I'm lost without you. He says in verse 11, don't banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Literally, he says, don't kill me. That's what I deserve. Death. God. Don't banish me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Make me willing to obey you. How many times have you prayed that prayer? Then I will teach your ways to rebels. They will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, God who saves. Then I'll joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, Lord, that my mouth may praise you. In other words, forgive me. And when you forgive me, if you forgive me, then I can't help but praise you. And this is what I love. You know this, right? This is why some of you, you are our best worshipers. This is why why when you go to different churches or different worship experiences, you see people that can't be restrained, can't hold it back. They sing with all they've got. They don't care what they sound like. They hold their hands up as high as they can. They don't care who's looking. Why? Because they know. They've owned it. They've claimed it. They know their sin. And they've come before God and they have experienced what David is crying out for right here. The forgiveness of God. And when you do that, when you experience that, you can't help but worship. You can't help but worship. And David knows this. He knows the power of this prayer. He knows that God does not desire a sacrifice or he'd offer one. He knows that he doesn't want a burnt offering. He knows what God wants, what God has always wanted, what God has always looked at from the beginning of time has been the heart. So he says the sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken spirit. And repentant heart, oh God. So how is your heart today? How is your heart today? And if God were to keep a record of your sin, and if you had to stand before God today, with all of that before you, is there any way you could stand? Wow. No. I'll answer for you. I know this is true for you. There is no way. There is no way you or me could dare to stand in the presence of a holy God in light of what you've done, in light of what I've done. I don't even know you that well, and I know that's true. (laughs) No way. There's no way. There's no way we can stand. No way we could stand. But what you and I know, what you and I have is something that David could never know and something David could only hope to know. Because you and I know that the same God 
that David prayed to is the same God that would later send his son. We know that for God so loved the world that he came and he gave and he died, he was buried and he rose again. We know about the cross. We know about hope. We know about the greatest hope. We know what David could, could, could never even dream of, that, that the God he prayed to would one day come. That the, that the God he prayed to loves so much that he would come. And he wanted so much for that separation, the separation between you and me, the separation between us and God. He wanted that to go away so bad that he came to walk among us and die on a cross to save us. And so what you and I so often do, and this is true today too, is we come to the cross, do we not? We come to the cross because of the weight of our shame, the weight of our guilt, the feeling of the sin that's upon us. We come to the cross and we stare at the cross and we stare at Jesus. And when we see the cross, when we see Jesus, when we take communion and we experience his body and his blood all over again every single week, we just feel defeated because we know our sin put Jesus on the cross. If you've ever come to my office, you see this picture. I keep it in there and I'll put it on the screen so you can see it better. I got this, I don't know, 20 years ago, and I love this picture. It's a picture of a man who can't even barely stand. But yet there's someone behind him holding him up. And that someone holding him up is Jesus. And Jesus holds him up, even though the man he's holding holds the hammer and the nail in his hands. I keep this picture because I feel this way most days. You know, I feel this way most days. But Jesus didn't die on the cross for you to feel the weight of the guilt and the shame in your life every day. And I want you to hear this because this, this may be hard to hear, it may be weird to hear, but I think it's true. That the work of the enemy is to keep you at the foot of the cross. The work of the enemy, he would love nothing more than you for you to sit at the foot of the cross, continually broken, continually defeated, continually feeling the weight of your sin and shame. That is not the work of God. That is the work of the enemy. The work of God is for you to come to the cross, to experience the grace and the mercy of Jesus at the cross, and then to go from the cross forgiven and free. But so many of us, we remain at the cross, frozen in our chains, frozen in our sin, frozen in our guilt, and God wants to forgive us and then to set us free from the cross. You know, he wants us to, to, yes, come to the cross to experience his grace and love and mercy and forgiveness, but then for us to move from the cross, forgiven and free. The people who stood, the disciples of Jesus who were at the cross the day that he died, they stood at the cross and they experienced his death in real time. But when he was raised, they, don't, they didn't go back to Calvary. They went from the cross to share and to spread the news of the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness and the love of Jesus and of God, his Father. And that's what God, I believe, is calling us to do today as well. That we would go from the cross. That we, yes, we would come and experience the love and the grace of Jesus at the cross, but then to go from the cross to carry the grace and the good news and the mercy and the forgiveness of Jesus to those around us. And this week, what I would love nothing more is for us to do the same thing those first disciples did. To forgive someone the way Christ has forgiven us. To share with someone the news of the mercy and the grace of Jesus. That we would move from living at the cross to living from the cross. Forgiven 
and free. That, I believe, I truly believe that is the heart and the desire of God. Church, if you would, let's, let's stand together. I want to invite you today to do something because I don't want any of us today to leave this place feeling guilty or shame or sinful or dirty. So we're going to do something a little different at the very end here. And I want to ask everyone to participate. We've got six tables around the room. There's two up front. There's two on the sides. There's two in the back. And I've asked people to be at each of those stations. And what they have there is really simple. Uh, They have uh, some water, a little bit of soap. That doesn't do it. We've got some, like, Germex or something, a little more power to it. (laughs) And I want to ask you to move. as We're going to hear a song. The praise team will sing some songs. And during that time, I want to ask everyone to move and to go to one of these stations. There's nothing magical about the water. There's nothing magical about the people I've asked to, to serve. They're just there to serve you. That's all. But I would like everyone to move to one of those stations. And whatever mark is on your hand, I want to ask you to wash it off today. Because I want us to, in a very physical, literal way, I want you to experience the grace and the mercy of Jesus. We are physical creatures, and sometimes we have to feel things. We have to experience things to really get it. And I want you to leave today feeling forgiven and free. I want you to go today in the knowledge, in the truth, in the knowledge that Christ came and Christ forgave and he loves you. And I want you to feel forgiven and free. So as we hear this song and as we sing these songs, go and have that mark removed. Have it washed. Have, have it cleansed. And if, if you're a person in the room today who for whatever reason has never made this confession that you believe Jesus is who he says he is, if you've never had Jesus completely cleanse you and wash your sins away, we believe that happens in baptism. We believe that when you step into these waters, that you literally die with Christ, you're buried with Christ. And when you come out of this watery grave, you're raised, and your sins are literally cleansed, literally washed away. And that's, that's a mystery. It's divine. It's holy. There's nothing special about this water. It's all about the work of God. And if you would love to have your sins completely washed away, man, I, I'm going to just be a up front and thinking there's nothing special about me but come and I'd love to talk to you about that because I don't want anyone to leave here today feeling guilty I want everyone today to leave feeling forgiven and free because this is the heart of God that his sons and daughters would go every day into the world around us and be light to darkness and we can only do that when we go when we go forgiven and free, not bound by chains, not bound by sin, not held back by the enemy, but living fully and free into the life and the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. So as you hear the song, let me invite you to move, to have your sins washed away. Come speak with me if you'd like to know about getting baptized and having your sins completely washed away. But let's all experience what this is like to be forgiven and free today. Let's move.